0: So the the reading this morning is taken from Psalm 65 and can be found on page 580 of the Church Bible. Praise awaits you, our God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Saviour, the hope of all of the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for use for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges, you soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance the grasslands of the wilderness overflow the hills are clothed with gladness the meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain they shout for joy and sing
1: marvelous let's pray as we turn our attention to those words Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who has spoken, who's made yourself known to us, and we pray that as we read this psalm together, as we spend this time thinking about it, that you'd be at work by your Holy Spirit, help us to understand it and to be able to join in with the praise that it brings you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, earlier on, I was asking for things that we could say thank you for, and you frantically start racking your brains and go, "Oh, I know there must be something." Whether that is something like breakfast cereal, or whether it's new life, or or warm places to stay, or all the other things that we mentioned, we do have lots to say thank you to God for. Um, Earlier on, Paula was saying a few words, wasn't she, about how good God has been to her, how He's helped her through cancer and surgery and all the rest. We have so much. To give thanks for and our psalm today Psalm 65 is also packed with reasons to thank and praise God it's full of people doing just that so the first chunk of it has God's people praising him the middle chunk talks about everyone on earth praising him and it ends with creation itself praising him as valleys shout and sing for joy so if you aren't full of thanks today If actually you're going, no, I'm racking my brains and I just can't think of anything, if I put you on the spot and you might struggle with that, let's allow this psalm to teach us. Because it is a song for us to sing. It gives us reasons to praise the Lord, uh, especially at this time of year of harvest. In the first four verses of the psalm, we are called to praise the God who forgives fully. That's the first thing our attention is drawn to in the psalm is, is that we should praise God because he forgives fully. How else could we come to know God if not for his forgiveness? Our relationship with him needs fixing first, doesn't it? In verse 2, God is called you who answer prayer. That is a wonderful name, isn't it? Who is God? He is the one who answers prayer. And in verse 3, we're told what the prayer is that the writer King David was thinking of. And he says, when we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. We all know that feeling of being overwhelmed or swamped, everything getting on top of you. And the situation David's speaking of is being overtaken by sin, disobedience, rebellion against God. Our sin is not something that's safe, it's, it's unmanageable. We can't just dabble with a bit of sin and think that it won't grow and get worse. Sin is always a, a terrible thing that threatens to overwhelm us. And before we put our trust in Jesus, that is what sin is doing. It is like weeds running riot in the garden, overrunning, or, or a sort of drip, drip, dripping tap that is going to flood the house. Overwhelming sin does us no good but we keep on doing it even though it has all sorts of disastrous effects that nagging conscience and left undealt with it will overwhelm us with judgment now for david and and as the king he's talking about the whole nation here uh, for them they'd reached crisis point with it their awareness of sin had reached a level where it couldn't be ignored anymore They felt completely overwhelmed by it, so they cried out to him. I wonder if you've had a moment like that, a time when your sin has overwhelmed you. It has got out of control, whether that is the consequences are coming crashing in, or that inner sense of unease is getting too strong, or we just have this knowledge that something is not right between us and God because of our sin. Now, when we feel like that, our culture is going to tell us, no, dust yourself off, pick yourself up. You've got nothing to feel bad about. You've got nothing to say sorry for. The problem is other people. The solution is you. Don't worry about it. But that's not true, is it? And we know that in that moment of conviction, in that moment of being overwhelmed, that it is our sin that is the problem. It is us that's the problem. And the solution needs to come from outside us. When we're overwhelmed by sins... We need to follow David's lead and call out to the Lord, to you who answer prayer. Because when we do that, he doesn't turn us away. Verse 3 says, you forgave our transgressions. This was their experience all that time ago. We were overwhelmed with sin, but you forgave us. How much more can we be sure of that? That God will fully forgive us this side of the cross. Now that we know what Jesus has done for us, that Jesus let sin completely overwhelm him, not in the sense of giving into it, but in the sense of letting the horrors of it swamp him as he drowned in its consequences and its shame, as he suffered God's judgment on our sin to take it away from us when we call on him. So when we are overwhelmed with sins, we can call on the Lord Jesus and know that he forgives now, if that's not a reason to thank the Lord, I don't know what is. We praise him, the God who forgives fully. Now I say fully because it's it's not a small thing. There is a kind of sort of sort of forgiveness that is very begrudging, isn't it? Where it's sort of, oh okay, okay, I suppose I'll let you off, but I'm still not letting you <laughs> anywhere near me. Well, that's not God's forgiveness. That's not how he does it. Let's read verse 4. Says, blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. God is there forgiving fully. So as his people, he chose us. It's not that we came crawling back to him, begging him to take us in, and he goes, Yeah, go on then. No, he takes initiative in selecting, in choosing us. To be his, even though we were sinners, even though we were being overwhelmed with sins, he sees us and says, come on, I want you to be mine. And he calls us and he brings us near, not held away at arm's length, but near to him. And not briefly, but it says to live in your courts, to have a permanent place with God, in peace and security. One old hymn puts it like this, here would I find a settled rest While others come and go, no more a stranger nor a guest, but like a child at home. Now that's full forgiveness, isn't it? When we can say, actually, I belong with God. I've been brought to live near him. And that home that we now have is one of abundance and joy. It says we're filled with the good things of your house. We're going to think more about his provision a a bit later in the psalm, but... The joy of forgiveness here being that it's not just, oh, technically I got off. oh phew. No, it's that I got, got off <laughs> from all of my sin and then I'm brought near and then I'm enormously blessed through being near to God. We have a God who fills us with good things. We come to him totally empty-handed, nothing to offer, but we never leave empty-handed. He forgives us. He chooses us. He brings us near. He fills us up. That is the kind of God that we serve. An interesting thing about this psalm is it talks a lot about the temple. So verse 1 mentions Zion, which is the mountain where the temple was on the top um, in Jerusalem. Verse 4 talks about God's courts, his house, his holy temple. But we're told at the start it was written by David, King David, who never saw the temple. It was his son Solomon who built it after David died. So what's going on here? How can David be looking ahead and going, oh, I love the temple that doesn't yet exist? I think part of it is his longing for it. In his lifetime, David drew up the plans. He marked out the bit of land where it was going to be built. He gathered the resources. He got people on side so that as soon as Solomon was ready for it, the project could begin. He had the tabernacle, which was the sort of tent version of it, before the temple. But he was desperate to have something more solid, somewhere to worship the Lord. In ancient Israel, you needed a physical place to go if you wanted to meet with God. God dwelt there in a, in a special sense. He is everywhere with us and yet he was especially there in that tabernacle, in that temple. And the sacrifices would be made there to deal with our sins. So that temple, that tabernacle, that place was the centre of their life, the focus of their relationship with God, a place of joy, a place of praise. He wants to be where that is. Now if you were looking in a, on a map like a, a, like a proper map, a paper map, uh, Ordnance Survey map, that kind of thing, not Google Maps. Uh, if you looked at where we are now on a map, you would probably see a little uh, cross symbol to represent a church, maybe it would have the little letters PW there. place of worship now in many ways that's exactly what this building is it is a place and we are worshiping him but it's not a place of worship in the old sense of the temple back then you had to be in that place if you really wanted to worship whereas we're not limited like that anymore are we now that Jesus has died for us there are no more sacrifices to be made Now that the Holy Spirit has come to us, there's no need for a central place. As believers, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so this nearness to God, this access to him that David was longing for is our privilege wherever we are. So by all means, this place, this building we're in right now is a place of worship, absolutely. As is your house, as is your car, as is your workplace or your school. So if your position was being tracked on a a sat-nav or on Google Maps, there ought to be a little PW sign following you around. That is a, a place of worship, wherever you are. So David had to look forward to that temple because he didn't have it. And uh, in one sense we don't need to look forward because we have it now, but in another way we can look forward as well to heaven when we will have all the fullness of that nearness to God, when we'll see him, worship him even more perfectly than we do now. Whenever we're reading our Bibles and we we read the word Zion, uh, we don't just think Jerusalem, we think ahead to the heavenly Jerusalem. We think ahead to when we will be perfectly near to God. All through his full forgiveness. Now doesn't that make you want to worship him? Because he's so gracious to us. Worship is absolutely the right fitting thing to do. That's what verse 1 is getting at when it says, Praise awaits you, our God, in Zion. It's not just that praise is sort of there, ready and waiting. It's that it should be. You might see there's a footnote there saying, Praise befits you. It's a good word, isn't it? Praise suits you oh suits you it really suits you it really suits God it's completely appropriate some things it's not appropriate to praise they don't deserve it it would be a bit weird to do it but with the Lord nothing could be more right or proper than to praise and honor him because he is perfect he is the holy God and yet he fully forgives us when we turn to him in faith That is the big thing that David prayed for and received. But it's not the only thing. It it does seem like this psalm was written at a time of national crisis, which when they prayed about it, God dealt with for them. And that's our our second reason to worship. We want to praise the God who answers awesomely. We see that in verses 5 to 8. He answers awesomely. It says, you answer us with awesome and righteous deeds. God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. Now, people today use the word awesome to just mean really good. But this is about awe. This is about the things that make your jaw drop open, makes you speechless. Some old versions of the Bible would say uh, that uh, you answer us with terrible things. and again that's another word we use the word terrible differently but that gets that sense of things that are so enormous that they're almost scary the mighty power of God answering our prayers he is able to do things that would make your hair stand on end things that bring salvation and it made me think just how small are our prayers How small are our prayers? And on one level, good, that's right. It's right because he's the God of everything. Our prayers can be tiny. We can pray about the smallest little detail and know that he cares deeply about it. But we can also pray massive things and know that is not beyond him. He is not a little, local, tribal God. He is the hope of all the ends of the earth. He is the creator. Look at verse 6. He formed the mountains by his power, having armed himself with strength. It's not much bigger than a mountain, is there? And yet the Lord formed it, like a child makes something out of Play-Doh. He's sort of able to just make that thing. That's incredible, it's setting the mountains in their sockets, solid and firm. A God as vast and grand as that can be trusted, can't he? When we call on him, he answers awesomely. That was David's experience. Remember he talked about being overwhelmed. That's a water kind of word, being swamped. And in verse 7 he uses watery language again to describe a bad situation that the Lord resolved. He says, God who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. This is probably talking about a threat from another country a military threat a danger of war it felt like being a boat in a storm with waves crashing over and they cry out for help and God answered them awesomely overpowering this thing that was overpowering calming that storm now when we hear calming the storm we think of Jesus don't we straight away there he was literally on a boat in a storm and with a word making the waves go flat and in doing that Jesus was saying I am the God of Psalm 65 I am God our saviour hope of all the ends of the earth that Jesus is saying that he is this one to whom we need to turn he's the one we need to praise he's the one who has given us all that we have not least that forgiveness but also in answering our prayers We see the raging waves are not random. They're not out of control and he's still able to still them. Just as one day he will still every storm. Now we live in a world with nations in turmoil. It talks about here, don't we? Chaos and fear and terror and bloodshed. We absolutely need to pray absolutely need to pray this evening service tonight we're going to be thinking about prayer looking at the lord's prayer it's so important that we pray we we do that on our own that we come together as a church to pray and we do that because we have a god who answers and who answers awesomely who deals with situations completely beyond us so much so the verse 8 the whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders this is power on a global scale this is the wonder of the world praise the god who does this who brings calm who brings peace and when we see that it draws out doesn't it it draws out our awe and our praise it says where morning dawns where evening fades you call forth songs of joy, praising him all day, like we were singing earlier, whether it's a new day dawning or uh, when the evening comes, we want to be singing his praises. So first thing, when when we're awakened, the stresses of everything that needs to be done comes piling in again. We have hope. We can sing for joy, even if we would rather stay in bed. And last thing at night, when maybe regrets take over, worries keep us awake, we can give thanks for the day. We can entrust it to him. And sing songs of joy whenever it is, where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. But this isn't just personal. Again, it's global. It talks about not just when this happens, but where this happens. So where we are, let's just see where we are now. It is ten fifty one a.m. That means in New Zealand right now, it is ten fifty one p.m. At this moment, the sun is rising in Argentina, the sun is setting in the Philippines, but where morning dawns, where evening fades, God calls forth songs of joy. That means all over the world, he's worthy to be praised because he answers awesomely. And one of the most obvious ways he does that is by providing for us, and that's the last chunk of our psalm. We want to praise the God who gives generously, who gives generously. Verses 9 to 13 are perfect for a harvest Sunday. It was probably written to be sung at this time of year because it's all about God's amazing provision through the food that he grows. Now I uh, grew up in a city. I was at university in London. We lived for years in Nottingham. One thing I'd never had to deal with till moving to Wem was tractor time. (laughs) That idea that you've got to leave a little bit of extra time on your journey in case you get stuck behind a tractor. And obviously I don't love staring at the back of a farm vehicle, but I do love that sense of being in somewhere much more rural with that connection to the things that are growing, seeing the land put to work for our good. Animals being raised, crops being grown. It's good for us to think about those things to pray for those things because otherwise we would forget that God is at work all the time providing us with what we need to survive now in particular King David wants to thank God for the rain now we might not like that very much and the umbrellas go up Lib's mum got stuck in York this Friday the weather just literally all services from York are Suspended due to adverse weather conditions, that sort of thing. So sometimes we don't particularly want to praise God for the rain. But it is such a good thing. Let's read verse 9 and 10. It says, You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with corn, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows, level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops in those hot summer months and things dried up for the Lord softens that ground with rain so things can grow again God's being pictured here like a gardener walking around with a with a watering can going around the land caring for it watering for it and there's no end to his resources he's not going to have a hosepipe ban we might run out of things but God's streams are always filled Uh, This week I went to Felicity's School Harvest Festival. I know there are other people there as well, I can see. Um, During the proceedings, one of the year groups did a little presentation on where does food come from? Where does food come from? We could have had a little quiz. uh, Where does broccoli come from? Originally it came from Italy. Did you know that? There you go. Uh, Potatoes coming from the Americas. It was all very interesting. Um, That sounds more sarcastic than I meant it to be. It was genuinely interesting. (laughs) But if King David was asked, you know, where does food come from? He would have said, the Lord. The Lord is where food comes from. The harvest festival at the school did also give God credit, to be fair. Um, But God is where it all comes from. And Psalm 65, that, that point is underlined how many times the word you is used. Speaking of God, verse 9, you care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. Verse 10, you drench its furrows. You soften it with showers. You crown the year with your bounty. God is the one doing it. God is the one giving generously. So yes, as we sang earlier, we plough the fields and scatter the good seed on the land. We do our bit of work, but it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand. He is the one making it actually work. He is the one making it grow. And again, there's deeper levels to that, aren't there, in all that we do. We do our bit, but it's God who makes it grow. God who does the heavy lifting. (laughs) In fact, verse 13 pictures God himself as like a farmer pulling a loaded tractor. When it says, your carts overflow with abundance. Your carts. What an image that is. One one writer put it like this. We of the supermarket culture may smile at this rustic image of God the farmer driving a great wagon along the country lanes, so laden with produce that the surplus tumbled off it (laughs) your carts so next time you're going down and there's a load of corn or hay or something on the road you say oh yeah that's just like god isn't it there's so much abundance and he does all of this for us he does it all for us years ago travis asked why does it always rain on me why does it always well verse 9 says why it's to provide the people with corn it's all for us. Even the miserable rain is part of God's good provision. And again, I'm sure there's a deeper metaphor there about hard things being from God. I'll leave that for another sermon because this is very literally saying, you "No, know, the rain is there to make the things grow so we don't starve. And after all the rains, after all the sunshine, all the hard work, all the waiting, finally, things ripen. Told so it's crowning the year with bounty, a golden crown of corn to make the fields beautiful. Now there's no need for it to look nice, is there? There's no need for that. I often think about that. God could have fed us with sort of boring grey pills. You know, or, or we we go and we get filled up like a like a car at a petrol pump. There's no need for it to be Tasty. There's no need for it to look nice, but instead, He made trees and fruits and fields of wheat and flocks in the meadow, which will eventually be delicious. Perhaps we don't look at a sheep and go, hmm, delicious, but eventually it will be. The Lord is extravagantly generous to us in ways that are almost over the top. God's people in the past experienced the miracle of God providing manna in the wilderness. Is it really any less miraculous that God makes water drop out of the sky so that delicious things pop out of the ground? That's madness. And that's just how the world works. God is so generous. He is so generous to us. The people of David's day were a nation of peasant farmers, much closer to the poverty line than than any of us are ever going to know how grateful they must have been when the crops were safely brought in. I don't think we should be any less grateful though, should we? For full freezers or or tins in the cupboard, for shops with food on the shelves, for money to buy those things. The Bible doesn't command us to celebrate a harvest festival like this a lot of churches don't do that and that's fine i've heard of churches in central london doing something similar to what we've done today at the end of the financial year because that is the point for them in that place where they see the fruit of their labors and they want to give credit to god but whenever it happens however it happens we are to give thanks that bid isn't optional we must praise the god who gives generously and if we won't creation itself will see that in verse 12 and 13 the grasslands of the wilderness overflow the hills are clothed with gladness the meadows are covered with flocks the valleys are mantled with corn they shout for joy and sing we've got the valley the valleys the meadows singing we've got the sheep shouting for joy i don't know if you speak sheep Uh, that is what they're saying if we only had ears to hear it. All creation worships its maker, drawing attention to him, to his power, his wisdom, his care. Uh, Paul earlier mentioned mountains and sunsets and changing seasons, making us stop and reflect. That's absolutely what they were made for. If we could just hear it, the world would be worshiping the Lord. Right now it's broken, the world is broken. The rains that we need can flood sweet people away sometimes the crops don't grow but psalm 65 points us forward to that heavenly jerusalem the future time when all sin is forgiven all danger is past and creation is fixed to where the new creation like isaiah says when the mountains and the hills will burst into song and all the trees of the field will clap their hands that day when all the hard things, all the painful things will be long gone and will be brought near to the Lord forever. So as we finish, what what should our reaction be? Hopefully you've seen it underlined lots of times. Praise God. Let's praise him. This is his world. Everything we have is an absolute gift. So we mustn't live as if he's an afterthought or an irrelevance. We have to praise him. So let's praise the God who forgives us fully. When our sins are overwhelming us, let's turn to the Lord Jesus. Let's praise the God who answers awesomely, asking him for what we need. And praise the God who gives generously. Why don't I pray for us to do that and to, that we would go on to do that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you've given us. Thank you for your forgiveness freely given to all who ask for it in jesus name we thank you for answering our prayers in awesome ways we thank you for giving us the food we eat and each thing that we enjoy you have been so lavishly generous to us and so we pray that you would help us to acknowledge that and to live lives that praise you each and every day in jesus name amen